Renegade. 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 If you guys don't know this song, you've been living under a rock. Welcome back, podcast listeners, to number 38 of the Nail Social Office Hours podcast. Today we are 50% powered by mom jeans. Rude. <laughs> what? Not rude. I'm Lean wearing, into them. I'm wearing my mom jeans today and just said, oh, you're wearing those jeans again? Like, <laughs> like I can't wear them more than once? Like I'm an outfit in a week. repeater? In a week. I it's wore only them last Thursday. week. I wore them last week. It's been seven days. Oh, okay. Okay, for those of you who don't know, I am Rachel Jackson. I am the social analytics manager at Nail Communications, and at Nail Social, I am lead scientist. And I'm Jess Bachman. I'm digital strategy director here at Nail Communications at Nail Social. I am the lead scientist, Junior the <laughs> Third. We are a couple kids talking shop on this podcast about all things organic social, all things paid social, and everything in between. We've got a packed show today. For this week in organic, we're going to do a TikTok update. A lot of things going on in the world of TikTok, and we want you to be privy to all of them. Always a lot of things going on. uh, For this week in paid, we have a very in-the-weeds section. We're going to talk about campaign budget optimization um, and some of the strategies that we're taking on for that um, as it becomes Facebook's sort of new standard for advertising. Some new strategies. Not the same old CBO. Not the same old. (laughs) We're moving on (laughs) to new CBO stuff. New stuff. Uh, then we have a segment where we're going to talk a little bit about Instagram and some Bud Light news. Sort of a historical look at the past six months of Bud Light's Instagram. <laughs> and then lastly, we have an explain that tweet. We're going to talk about user-generated content and why that's working. And then finish up with a rant wheel. Yeah, so let's just dive right into it. Renegade. 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 If you guys don't know this song, you've been living under a rock. This is Lottery by K Camp, otherwise known as Renegade, which is a top TikTok dance. Mm-hmm. Got really, really popular mm-hmm. in about maybe October and then has just continued to be popular. It's a series of like, I don't know, 40 dance moves all strung together yep. into this sort of mm-hmm. f- full dance thing. And it's a great TikTok meme. Yep. And um, <clears throat> we've sort of established a convention of doing the TikTok, Nail Social, doing the TikTok of the TikTok transition music that we're going to do. So Rachel is going to perform this on uh, TikTok and we'll let you know how that goes. Um, it's really hard, you guys. You can do it. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to bring up uh, Renegade because the actual creator of the dance is finally having her day in the sun. Basically, what happens a lot of times with these TikTok dances is that they're not made up on TikTok and they're not made mm-hmm. from the people who are performing them. They're made on different dance platforms, social platforms, and on Instagram or something. Um, the most popular one is Dub Smashers or something Dub like Smash. Dub Smash. Mm-hmm. And um, where these dancers sort of create these create these dances and then they re-put them on TikTok and that's where they get famous. So this happened to one user, Jalea Harmon, and she created the Renegade dance and posted it. And then it got picked up by really popular TikTokers, Charlie in particular, 
um, and sort of spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. But she never got the credit because a lot of times, you know, you can't really tag very well on Instagram if someone, or on on TikTok if someone's not, if you don't know who the originator of the dance is. And so it goes and spreads and spreads and spreads and someone like Charlie or other top TikTokers are getting income and brand deals from you know, these dances, whereas Jalea is getting nothing and she's the creator of the dance. Yeah, but she is finally getting her due and a lot of creators don't get their due. Um, And one thing I find interesting about um, Jalea is sort of before TikTok became big, there was a big thing of dancers getting their moves taken. I'm thinking like a backpack kid with the flossing getting taken by um, Fortnite Mm -hmm. or Fortnite taking a lot of different dancers. And I had very little sympathy for those people because flossing is literally like a two second thing. Whereas whereas Renegade, the Renegade dance is a work of choreography. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because a work of choreography, is that copy, is that copyrightable? Is that intellectual property? I 100% say so. No, it is. Well, yeah, yes, but I, I, but that being enforced is a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to enforce. But, but previously with like the, um, the backpacking kid move, that the question was, is that even a work of choreography? Because mm-hmm. it's so short. Yeah. Is dabbing a work of choreography mm-hmm. that can be copyrighted? I, I don't think that's the case. A lot of people don't. But certainly Jalea's absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm so happy she's finally getting credit. Um, and so that's an interesting development as we we think more and more about how TikTok dances and TikTok um, copyright it becomes an issue. We're also seeing something interesting on t- TikTok these days. If you guys are like me and you <laughs> scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll through TikTok for hours on end, you might have come across this account called TikTok TikTok Tips, and it's sponsored by TikTok, and it's an account full of influencers basically with their face aimed at the camera and saying hey get off tiktok you've been uh, been spending too long in here turn off your phone go to sleep go outside um and it's really interesting basically they're being like you know this is so addictive that we need to encourage people to take a break yeah and some of them um aren't good content but some of them are kind of good they're they're being creative with it and i find it interesting because when i'm scrolling through it the I do not think, oh, you're right. I need to go outside. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, hey, that's pretty cool. What else is next? It's just, I, I struggle to see the effectiveness. Yeah, of it doesn't really work for me. I mean, I definitely kind of watch it, but I don't like care that much or like think of it as terribly effective. I don't know. But what's interesting is this is the first time I'm really seeing a overt example of this on social Mm -hmm. media instagram for example has the you're all caught up notification if you scroll through all of your instagram posts and and throughout the entire like 24 hours or something and it goes back to where you were before you'll get that notification from instagram and it's sort of like kind of subtly telling you to hey go get off your phone but this is overt yeah and you don't see anything like this uh, on facebook in like the past 10 years of of UX design has been about how can we make the most addicting platform mm-hmm. possible? How can we insert those hooks and those levers to get people coming back, to get people using it? And we've it feels like we've reached the sort of like event horizon of that where it's like, okay, we created something so addicting, we now need to <clears throat> pull back for, I mean, I don't know exactly know why they're doing it. I'm but not it's... sure why either. I mean, I think there's, 
there's a certain thing to be said about them trying to have some safety measures in place for like the the impressionable impressionable youth on here, or for PR, or, or for P. And, or but that's what I mean or... for for vanity's sake, not necessarily because they want you to leave the app. It's more just that they can't look evil. Yeah. And I think a good example of that is what they're doing in the UK right now, which is putting in these safety features or like parental controls to basically control a child's account so now and i think this is also very like because the uk has rules like this in place mm -hmm. it's a little bit it would be more popular there and it'll it will work better there i can't really see this working in the united states but basically a parent can link to a child's um, page to be able to control some of the content that they, they can see control the time they can spend and who can send them dms yeah as a as a parent um, I am all bored with these. Mm -hmm. I would certainly make use of them. I, I fucking hate the idea of people messaging my daughter in Roblox or Minecraft servers or whatever or Xbook Live. I mean, all these other platforms where they recognize that my daughter is a child somehow and now it's, there's weird people there. I mean, that's gross. As a child, uh, this is trash. Do the voice. I'm not going to do a child's voice. Uh, no, but I guess as a child, if I'm thinking if I was like 15 or 16 or something, I'm a minor, but I still want to be able to, to look at okay, all the content not, I want. That's not a child. I mean... That's a child. Uh, okay, Jess, that's a child. Okay. Well, my daughter's younger than that. So, And I, I think TikTok appeals to a lot of younger people. My daughter loves it. So any control, um, you know, once they're like 13, then it's like... It's a battle. But, but that's you as a parent. I'm thinking about other parents where maybe my parents would be more interested in, in controlling what kind of content I could see. And I would just create a new account. Yes, I know. You get to the point where you're in your teens and you find workarounds. But I'm saying with my daughter's age, that doesn't happen yet. Yeah. Okay. Very fair. So that is our TikTok update. If you guys aren't on TikTok, honestly, why are you sleeping on it? Again, we keep saying this. This is a great place for brands to be interesting. It's a great place for things to take off organically because it is so new and you can accumulate views so fast. Please look mm -hmm. into it if you haven't already. Yeah, another feature that, that they're testing, which I just saw, was the link in bio, mm -hmm. which is going to change the game in all sorts of ways. I mean, w one reason why... Brands didn't jump on Instagram or very quickly. It's because there's no place to send people. Right, right. But now there now there was, um, and we're happening. LinkedIn is or sorry, TikTok is learning from from that and just developing at a much more accelerated pace than these other platforms. doesn't get old yeah Does. what percentage of the dance have you learned so far i think i know the first three moves okay we... it's so hard <laughs> and it's teacher all right this weekend paid we are in the weeds in the weeds in the weeds if you are not someone who's who uses facebook's um ad platform a lot or the ads manager this might be a little bit of a jargon to you but it is important because this is how your money is being spent mm -hmm. you need to understand how the structure of your campaign is set up so that if you so that when you go into your your ads account you know what your media buyer is doing right and cbo is it's this thing that's that optimized on on the ad set level versus um the ad level or whatever and we talked about it a bunch and um it's coming so you need to use it 
and we've been thinking a lot about it. And I had this sort of epiphany over the weekend where I literally messaged Rachel and I was like, I, I had this epiphany about CBO and I, and I wanted to talk to you about that in particular. So normally what we do is like we have a campaign and then we have all these different ad sets and the ad set has a particular audience in it. And within that audience is several different ads. Um, and then Facebook will see which ad performs best and optimize for that ad. A lot of times, like if there's five ads, one or two ads will take up most of the spend. And we're not exaggerating by saying most of the spend. If there's five in there, one will have $100, one will have $3, one will have 65 cents, <clears throat> one will have $25. So th there's Facebook clearly chooses a winner. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want it to choose a winner, if you want to sort of force spend, you can't have all the ads in one ad set competing against each other. You need to put them in different ad sets. And I think this is <clears throat> what Jess's sort of epiphany was about. Right, so if you're doing broader targeting or larger lookalikes where um, there's millions of people that you potentially could reach, Facebook needs to figure out who to serve your ads to. It needs to find the people that Facebook thinks is going to resonate with your ads. But one challenge when you have multiple ads in an ad set is, particularly if they're different types of messaging, like let's say you have a particular product um, like it's shoes and maybe one one of the ads is about it's lighter or one of the ads about it's cheaper mm -hmm. or one of the ads about it's more durable. Those are three very, very different pitches and they will appeal to three different types of people. They might all be in the same umbrella audience. They might mm -hmm. all live in your lookalike audience and they may all be similar, but what that messaging it they will have one that appeals to them the most. Right. And so competing against each other is not something that's terribly effective for us because Facebook is only choosing one at the end of the day. Right, the ad set is not gonna find the people that kind of appeal to all these different people. It's gonna be like, all right, it's people like the lighter message and we're gonna go find people that um, like lighter shoes. That doesn't mean that there's not people out there that like more durable shoes. It's just that there's no room in that ad set optimization to find those people. So what we've started doing is making one ad set with one style of pitch in it. Um, and then another ad set with another style of pitch. And all of these ad sets are in one CBDO campaign. So there's still, the, the money is still moving around liquid, liquidly and there will still be a winner, but we are forcing spend, we're putting in you know, minimums of $100 or something like that, to force Facebook to put in enough data to that one ad to choose that type of person to see if it really is an effective ad or not. Mm -hmm. If it's below benchmark in terms of click-through rate or cost per click or something, yes, we'll take it out. But <clears throat> if it's finding the right people because it's not, being, it's not competing against the other ones, mm -hmm. then we would wanna keep that. But we need to make sure that Facebook isn't just choosing a winner out of the blue and giving it a hundred dollars and everything else 30 cents we need to you know sort of push out as much or push out a minimum amount of spend for each of them right it's really just putting each pitch or each angle in its own lane where it can find its type of people absolutely if if like you find that durable is working put multiple ads in there that all pull at at durability because you know you want to have the best creative that's going to work for that but you don't want to you don't want to have durability compete with a whole other um, pitch or angle it just mm -hmm. doesn't make sense 
That being said, we are testing this, and it could blow up in two days. And we'll let you know. All right, talk to me about Bud Light's Instagram. So one of the things we do as an agency is, is audit other accounts, whether they're uh, competitors or client accounts. Um, and audits are very interesting to see what other people are doing. Audits on Instagram are exceptionally interesting because you can visually see changes in their content. It's very different on Twitter where it's, you have to like read it all, but you can scroll through a, a brand's Instagram and see like, oh, they took another direction. Like, or they fired their agency here at this abrupt point. Um, you see a lot of that. You guys, this is so interesting. Take any, oh, <laughs> my microphone. Take any big brand, go to their Instagram, scroll through a few months, and you will see changes in campaigns, changes in maybe they got a new agency, maybe someone got fired. You can absolutely tell which directions they're going because they're not smooth transitions. And we see this so clearly in Bud Light as an example. Right. Um, so if you go back to pre-September of 2019 and you scroll through Bud Light's Instagram feed, it is very typical brand, people smiling, holding a Bud Light. A lot of summer stuff. A lot of, uh, it looks a lot of fake, stupid. Poolside. Bikinis. A uh, lot of high quality images of um, people with a, with a Bud Light. But if you, if you scroll through it um, now, recently, it is a 100% meme account. Mm -hmm. um, almost indistinguishable from Grape Juice Boys yep. or all these other things, except it mentions Bud Light all the time. A lot of screenshots of tweets, a lot of um, just meme content. I mean, a lot of Post Malone as well, but. Mm -hmm. So there was, a, there was a very clear transition period, and I'd like to talk about our theory of what might happen and implications for other brands who might have done this. So <clears throat> right around, it uh, looks like September 13th, 2019, Bud Light came out with that weird uh, Area 51 alien Which we did talk about. Can. <laughs> um, it was, they had a can that they're just like leaning into this Area 51 um, sort of meme thing that was happening. And they had their whole can around it. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of their first foray into something weird and interesting where they posted, you know, this sort of low quality video of alien content and their weird can and yeah. it was weird and it maybe attracted a different sort of audience and it worked on instagram most of their posts prior to that had maybe like four thousand likes um the first can one of the alien can had seventeen thousand likes mm -hmm. so when you when you see something that that feels like it's working you lean into that um so it started with like a can and then they did a video which also had you know tens of thousands of likes but i think they they attracted a whole audience that they they dipped into meme culture and put this bait for these sort of memers and that sort of became a lot of who their audience is and then um you can see them doing some of their typical stuff of like people yep. at a super bowl or, or people at like a game or, or like a and, and it sucked and it sucked and it did and it clearly did worse than their post that says my boss asked me if i'm getting if getting to happy hour is more important than my job, and I don't know how to tell them that it is. Like, obviously that right. does better than people smiling. 
And then September 23rd, they did their first screenshot of a tweet. Mm-hmm. It says, if you liked Hot Girl Summer, then you'll love Crispy Boy Fall. And again, that got 10,000 tweets, which is, you know, five times what their previous stupid thing did. <laughs> their previous stupid thing. So as a, as a social media manager or a strategist, you're like, something is working, something is not. Let's move in that direction. And they kept moving a little bit more into that. They did another meme that was like, um, like the cooler salesman slaps the roof of the cooler. This bad boy can fit so many crispy boys in it. So they're developing this language around crispy boys that did well. And then they did one with like a Bud Light sports with a dog that didn't do as well. Mm -hmm. And then they start doing more and more memes that do well. And then they do this, this one on, on September 29th where it's a bunch of sports people with a Bud Light that didn't do well and they did a do it did a meme and it did well and it's just going back and forth until at some point they're like fuck the stuff we used to do it's just not working as well and within weeks it becomes a sort of 100% meme account mm-hmm. and then you you kind of see parts where it feels like they still have to put in some of this other stuff because maybe they had some like contractual operations with like some influencers or content creators or something like that. And there's still some like dogs and stuff that doesn't work. But um, as of right now, it is nothing but memes. It is 100% well, what it, memes. What it looks like to me is that they had a lot of photo shoot content mm-hmm. that they had made for their organic pages. But then they realized that does not work. These high profile glossy shots are not what's working anymore. And so they've completely... Uh, converted to the meme area and it's probably much cheaper i mean a lot of it's, sure. it doesn't look as nice a lot of it is sometimes just screenshots of text a lot of it is also curation which does take time but might be a little bit cheaper so it's easy for pages to convert to this meme thing because it's working now and it's popular now this will change eventually this won't work and how do you convert back to something else right and the thing about memes is um, when you use them, they can be very effective. We pitch this to all of our nonprofit or government clients. Just be like, hey, just use a meme. You'll see how effective it is. But um, it, it's kind of like a drug. You take a hit of the, the meme results and it works and you do more and more. And pretty soon you're a full-blown meme addict, which maybe it works for Bud Light. Suddenly it doesn't work for nonprofits or other clients that we work with. Um, so you have to be very careful when you're testing memes to use it moderately, you know? Use it moderately. And if it's not going to work for the voice of your brand, right. it might be a risk you shouldn't take. Like, it's it's easy and it's fast. It's like a, it's a quick win right now. But if it's going to, like, kind of make your tone seem weird, then that's not what you want to do. And the other thing we don't know is do memes... Um, do these like Bud Light memes connect to sales? Right. Maybe the, the previous shots of people like having fun in bikinis, maybe that sold a lot more Bud Light but got less likes than some of these other accounts. I, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, that's a good point. At the end of the day, it's not what's going to get you likes and likes and likes. And it's not what's going to get you this huge engagement unless that connects to sales. Yeah. And I think what Bud Light's doing right now is... Um, it's almost like stage one of memes. It's like taking every meme and just putting the word Bud Light on it. Um, there's certainly accounts like Stakeums and others that are like, you know, stage 11 or just doing a lot of more interesting stuff. So it'd be interesting to see 
how Bud Light, uh, this particular Instagram page, evolves out of this, this I don't want to say rut, but they're certainly locked into a lane. Okay, explain that tweet. That is my favorite segment. Yeah, because it's just Jess, <laughs> a Jess on Jess right now. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so on February 15th, we tweeted, user-generated content is having its moment as effective ad creative, but why? Some ideas. Doesn't immediately trigger ad reflex. Feels authentic, feels real. Doesn't tell a story. Funny enough, the most effective, effective ad our agency made last year hit all of these points too. So basically just <clears throat> saying, Yes, UGC is effective for these reasons, but one of the ads we recently made that wasn't UGC style that was actually required a photo shoot and, or, or, and a video shoot and required a huge script and a lot of approval. Also, it hit these points where it didn't trigger that reflex. Right. It did feel authentic. It didn't quite tell this huge story. Right. UGC is working. That doesn't mean let's all make UGC now. Let's look at why UGC is working and incorporate that into stuff that has more storytelling or, or not storytelling, but has more effort into it. Um, <clears throat> so like, doesn't immediately trigger the ad reflex. That's one reason why UGC works because it doesn't, your brain doesn't immediately shut off. But I mean, that's gonna, there's only so much of that that can, that can work because eventually everything will look like every ad will look like UGC right. and then that will be what ad reflexes. So it's going to change. You have to be agile with this. Right. So in the, in the um, ad that we made as an agency, it was a YouTube pre-roll. It, it kind of did look like an ad for the first three seconds and then it immediately cut to something that was entirely different before you could skip. And it, it um, sort of short circuited that part of the brain where you're like, is this an ad? Is this not an ad? So the, the feels authentic, feels real. That's, you know, that's one reason why UGC works. It feels like it's real reviews, real people. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I also feel like there's a bit of this that it feels real to the brand. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's, it matches the tone of voice that the brand has. I think that's incredibly important too. Because if you're, for example, if you are, like what we just talked about with the meme page, if you're a nonprofit client that does not have any humor <clears throat> and you're using a meme, there's some weird disconnect there. Yeah. Yes, that can work if you have humor and you have a, a tone of voice that feels familiar. But if you don't, again, there's disconnect. So you have to feel like your your brand voice is still there. Right. And authenticity is such a tricky word and it's hard to put authenticity in a brief and execute that in a way that is authentic. It's literally, it's almost like an opposite, you know. <laughs> but um, we managed to pull it off in this particular ad. And the last one is it doesn't tell a story. And I think we all think that, you know, these, these ad units, these 30 seconds, it's like, what story can we tell in 30 seconds to get people uh, motioning aligned with a brand or do whatever? Um, and this particular one didn't do that. It didn't attempt to build this, this narrative. It was a very long ad. It was like a two minute ad, but it didn't, it wasn't no beginning or end. Um, it was very different. And I think one of the part of the ad reflex is when you see something in your feed and it's like part of it looks like an ad because it's production. The other part is because it's got this narrative set up that's 
that a lot of ads try to do, try and tell a story in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I really struggle with this because I see, when I look at the results, I see ads like that not doing as well, but I really think there is some validity to them if you can crack it. And that's the thing, it's not easy. It's not easy to tell a story in 30 seconds, but also feel authentic, but also not look like an quote unquote ad. It's hard, but I think it can be done. I don't think it should be avoided. No. It just needs to be worked on. Right. The The story in 30 seconds is a convention that comes out of TV. And it's another example of applying TV conventions to social. Mm -hmm. um, you can't tell a longer story on TV because um, airtime is so expensive. You can't put like eight ads in, in a, over the course of, of one thing without breaking the bank. But with social... You can tell a longer story over a longer period of time. And the most effective ad campaign that we ran last year wasn't one where we we told a story in one unit. We told a story over 14 ads. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. And it's not just the fact that we, it's cheaper. It's also the fact that we have all of these tools, these retargeting metric or these retargeting mechanisms that we can have in our tool belt to continue to tell the story. So we can evolve the story based on if somebody mm -hmm. clicks into the website or if somebody's watched for a certain um, percent of time. If somebody watched one video, we can serve them a different video. There's a lot of options we have to evolve a story and it does not have to be in that 30 second one ad unit. Right. And then we have to think about the comments as well. It's like there's so much, yeah. Yeah, TV ads don't have comments. Social ads do, they're participatory. Allow people to come on the journey, allow them to affect the story, allow them to have choices in the story. Um, that's what we did uh, on Reddit. And uh, the comments at the end of this campaign were literally like, move over Lord of the Rings, a new epic has been written and we've lived it. And it was just, it's un you talk about like storytelling, it doesn't get bigger than that in terms of ads, you know, like comments. It's very rare that a, a user will see a, a TV ad and be like, move over Lord of the Rings. I'm part of this journey. It just mm -hmm. doesn't happen. But you have those tools on social. Social is a perfect platform for storytelling. You just need to think a little bit broader than one ad unit. Wheeling in the rant wheel. Okay, here are options for today. Whatever VaynerMedia does, the increasing complication of TikTok dances, and Twitter defaulting to top tweets, even when you set it to recent tweets. All right, spin this wheel. Let's get some good ones. Ooh, what is it? What is it? It is whatever VaynerMedia does. Oh, take it away, Rachel. I don't have any opinion on this. Oh, okay. He doesn't really bother me. Like, yes, he kind of is like overly, I don't know, douchebag-esque, but he's, I don't know. I mean, he's fine. So, so yeah, so there's, there's Gary Vaynerchuk. And yes, there's, Gary. I'm talking about Gary, not VaynerMedia. I there's guess. VaynerMedia. Gary Vaynerchuk is a content creator um, to the ninth degree. He created a, a advertising agency in New York that has thousands and thousands of people, and it spun up very quickly, and they got a lot of clients because he's Gary V, and he's very high profile. 
what kind of bothers me is that Gary is, a, is a, certainly a huge champion of social. Um, absolutely. He's very early onto a lot of platforms. His agency, that is kind of their pitch. They're like, we are the social type things. Um, but the content coming out of that is so basic. It's like elementary. It's not like great ideas. They had multiple Super Bowl spots during the Super Bowl. Um, one of them was the Sabra Hummus one. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. And it was like, the brief was like, let's get all these people together to say a line, including TikTokers, because that's so innovative. <laughs> and people from a meme. Yeah, it's like very uh, level one. Like when we just talked about how Bud Light um, are using level one memes on Instagram, this feels like level one social. Like not evolving past just using right. the mechanics of the platforms. Right. Um, another example is the the baby or the peanut one. Mr. Peanut died. Okay, that's great. Um, and they and what I think what did work was them saying planters saying we're not gonna advertise anymore because of Kobe Bryant or whatever. And then people were like talking about that. So they built up a lot of hype for what's gonna happen at uh, Mr. Peanut's funeral. Um, and it was just like, oh, we copied Baby Yoda. <laughs> I know. I really don't understand what happened with that. They tr- and then there tr- there was some social media fallout afterwards with the ba- with the uh, Baby Peanut account. I don't know. It it just feels like it's nothing lasting. Yeah, and it feels like they they, had, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of huge clients um, who are putting a lot of effort or, or expectations into them to do something very creative on social something innovative is what i'd like to see but it's just not it's just not coming out of there and that's why all right let's plug some things first is our website which is nail.social that's where we have all of our services um, that we provide you can check those out if you would like to hire us you can email us please at... don't hire us for a few months at least <laughs> you can email us at coffee at nail.social that is our email you can find us on twitter we are nail.social on twitter that is where we are probably the most active we write the most there and we're on tiktok at nail.social and we're on twitch at nail.social all of the things so holler at us if you want to mm-hmm. and check out our tiktok later today tomorrow friday ish for rachel's version of the renegade dance Thanks, guys.